So anyways, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Money points ever. <laughs> From the University of Alabama, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Ben Flanagan, and it might sound like I'm going solo, and it might be true for the duration of the program, but my co-host, Corey Kraft, it's a special day for him like it was a special day for me last week. Although different, still just as special, perhaps. Uh, Corey is not in studio today, but he is on the line. Corey, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Great. Well, Corey, uh, you are now, well, I don't know if it's now yet, I don't know if you've walked or received the piece of paper or the uh, folder that doesn't have the piece of paper in it that says you're going to be mailed the piece of paper in the coming weeks, but uh, today you are Benjamin Braddock, man. You're the graduate. Yeah, I'm not walking today, um, but if all goes according to plan, I, I am now done with my undergraduate degree, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, much congratulations to you. I mean... Thank you. Just, just saying it. How does it feel? Um, it really hasn't hit me yet, and I think that could be because I'm not really like done with the yearbook, which is of <laughs> course my my job um, here as an undergraduate. So once I finish that, I think I'm going to be in the hey, I'm done with college mood. Yeah. More than I am now. Well, you know, um, it's okay not to walk. I did it one time. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was, it, it was, uh, you know, not the, not the most fun process in the world, but I mean, it, it can mean something to other people and you do it, you do it for them. Uh, and it, it only lasts a little while. I don't, I, you know, I don't envy anybody who uh, walks on graduation day and the second, the second go around, I chose to just chill at home and get my, get my degree in the mail. So, uh, but much congratulations to you, man. Well, thank you. Um, thank it's, you. it's a big deal. Uh, but Corey, uh, you and I have seen the uh, newest release in theaters, uh, which opened, I guess, technically midnight, Thursday night, Friday morning, and that would be Iron Man 2, the follow-up to the incredibly successful Marvel Entertainment Paramount Pictures release from 2008 uh, that summer. Um, a huge grocer, a very well-liked movie by fans and critics alike, uh, starring Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark and Iron Man. A really uh, risky casting decision on the part of uh, the studios and the director John Favreau, who uh, you know insists that he had the vision with uh, Robert Downey Jr. asked the studio to take a chance. They did, and boy did it pay off! Uh, not only in financial dividends, but also uh, for for those of us who really love that movie. Um, but Corey saw it at midnight, and I saw it yesterday. And I think Corey, you saw it again last night. That's uh, right. For That's a right. second time, but you know, I'm curious. I'm, you know, I believe that you're a fan of the first movie, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I am too. I'm a big fan, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm alone here, but I, I, I'd go as far as to even say that I even prefer Iron Man to uh, the other major uh, blockbuster from the comic genre, Dark Knight, that came out that same summer. And again, I think I'm, uh, I'm in, I'm in a pretty uh, small minority. But it's just so entertaining, and Downey really uh, was uh, the catalyst uh, for for most of why that movie was successful. You know, along with strong supporting performances, just terrific ILM special effects, uh, and and just all around entertaining action and uh, narrative. And but I'm curious as to what you think of this new movie. Um, I mean, we're here to talk about it. Um, it's going to make a ton of money, and we'll get to that a little later. Obviously, it's it, I think it's the the widest distributed film of all time uh, in its yeah, first weekend. So. Yeah, um, but I mean, Corey, did did this one sort of uh, capitalize on the formula formula that worked before the first time? Did they rinse and repeat? Uh, did you get a second go around of what you loved so much, what felt so fresh, with what I think was probably Marvel's best uh, outing at the movies so far? Or did this suffer from that sequel syndrome where it just uh, fails to achieve what it uh, was able to bottle before? Well, let me tell you, on, on Thursday night, um, the cop, Hollywood 16, actually showed the first Iron Man at 9 p.m., followed by their midnight screenings of Iron Man 2. And I actually went to see the first movie on the big screen again 
on Thursday night immediately before seeing the new film. So if the new film was ever going to come up short in comparison or disappoint, it would have done so in a big way for me, having just seen the first movie again. But I'm very happy to say that I think Iron Man 2 lives up to the expectations set by the first movie. Um, I think that in a lot of ways it is at least as good as the first movie. And I think that in, oh, plotting, let's say, it is better than the first movie. I don't think that it really recaptures the novelty uh, or the excitement of seeing these actors together uh, like that we got from the first movie, but I think that um, I think that as far as pure plot goes, I think that it is a better experience because there actually is a plot. And I'm not saying that worked against the film, you know, the first film, but with the second one, you do have, it's not really tightly plotted, but it is a, a more considered story than the first and you have great new cast additions, and you have everything you liked from the first movie with Robert Downey Jr. returning, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, we don't have Terrence Howard returning, unfortunately, but John Cheadle takes over for that character. Um, you have more fun with punk Stark inventing, you have his robot assistants, and you know, the writing is just as, as sharp as it was in the first movie. I really enjoyed this one, and I, 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 I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised in a way, because I didn't expect it to live up. Well, Corey, before I get to my first question, let me preface this by saying I really enjoyed it as well. I think you're kind of getting more of the same as you got. It's just kind of the continuing adventures of these characters you grew to love with the first Iron Man, especially Tony Stark, who uh, I think is one of the most uh, engaging film characters we've seen in uh, many years, even though it only came out uh, two years ago. Robert Downey just is uh, really that charismatic of an actor, and he can it just seems like this role was essentially uh, conceived for a guy like him. Um, and to have him on screen again uh, in that role that worked so well for me personally, it, it was just great to spend a whole other a whole other movie with him. And like you said, the the new additions to the uh, to the cast are are wonderful, uh, especially Sam Rockwell uh, yeah, as Justin great. Hammer. I mean, uh, they really. Um, they really nailed it with casting Rockwell again. That, that that was kind of a risky decision because this isn't a guy that uh, studios would consider a box office draw, and he, he's not asked to fill that role with this movie either. They've got Downey, and they've just got the franchise in general. And also you have Mickey Rourke as uh, Vanko, um, the villain, or one of the villains of the movie. And before I get into more of what I liked, because there's a lot, my question to you is, where is this plot that you speak of? Because, I, you know, as opposed to the first one where I guess you could say the plot uh, essentially is Iron Man's origin, uh, which I think is pulled off uh, quite well. Uh, and, and the film's shortcomings, I think, had a lot to do with uh, Iron Man's adversaries. Um, but this time around, uh, when he does have multiple adversaries, I found no plot to speak of. No, 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 no plot to that really drove these characters or, um, you know, set the stakes any higher than they were when we left the last movie or started this one. Um, all, all people are essentially doing is uh, competing over technology. I guess you right. could say. Uh, and and the real the real stakes are whether Tony Stark relinquishes uh, the technology for the Iron Man suit to the Department of Defense, the United States government, uh, who Justin Hammer sort of works for as this, uh, you know, inventor uh, that competes with Tony Stark. Um, but, I mean, Corey, I mean, tell me, what, what, what is the plot? I mean, if you, if you were going to tell me what this film was about, if you were going to write a one-sentence plot line, what would it be? Well, yeah, I, I, I agree that this is a any masterpiece of storytelling, but but in addition to that that plot line with Justin Hammer and the Department of Defense, along with the sort of sleazy senator played by Gary Shandling, um, you also have a subplot involving Tony Scott's or I'm sorry Tony Stark's uh, addiction to the Iron Man suit and his burgeoning alcoholism, um, which. Well, his the Iron Man suit, anyway, and the palladium technology used to power it is killing him. Um, and a, a significant part of the film involves his search for a replacement. Uh, but I think if 
you were to sit down with the film screenwriter Justin Theroux and ask what the main plot of this film was, he'd probably point to the legacy storyline involving Howard Stark, Tony's father, who's played in, in film clips by Mad Men's John Slattery, and um, and the relationship between Stark and Venko. Now, I, I don't know how much of this was, was sort of changed, you know, in editing, because apparently a lot of reshoots were done to sort of fill in the blanks with this film, much like with the first one. Uh, but but I think that if you were to point at a major through line, it would be this sort of duel between the sons, between Tony Stark and, and Ivan, who played the Mickey Rourke, of, of these two great scientists and, and now what, how they're capitalizing on their father's legacy, um, which I think is interesting, but perhaps not as in the forefront as, as it might have been. The only time, um, and we're not going to, look, we're not going to spoil anything sure, sure. Uh, for the listeners out there. Uh, and I, I would imagine that a lot of people have already seen this movie based on some of the numbers uh, we've seen domestically. But uh, the only time I really felt like our protagonist was in danger, and that should be the driving force of any uh, any film. You know, uh, what what are the stakes? What, what are his uh, or her obstacles? And what might... Um, be the, you know, be the best of them, or uh, you know, get the best of them. Uh, the only thing was his uh, to- toxicity level, I guess you could say. Uh, the the suit or the um, the palladium. What, what what was the term you used? Palladium. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the core that, that is installed in his. Yeah, his chest that, core. Uh, the right. the fact that that is killing him, and we get to look down at his uh, levels. I guess his blood levels, and we see that they're getting higher throughout the movie, and that was the only time where I felt like, okay, well, Tony Stark's in danger. He has to find something that, um, you know, can beat this. Uh, I guess you could call it disease that is about to take down the man Tony Stark in the Iron Man suit. There will be no more Iron Man if this happens. But other than that, uh, I never, for one second, felt like Tony Stark or Iron Man was genuinely threatened by. Venko or Justin Hammer or the United States government. They all seemed like uh, fairly easy obstacles that he could overcome and that he eventually would. And I guess, you know, you mentioned this legacy arc, which I think, like you said, is the driving force of the movie, um, where you have these archived uh, videos or uh, films of Howard Stark, again, played by John Slattery, that sort of uh, get to Stark emotionally. And again, yeah, he's dealing with his addiction of the suit and the alcoholism. I'm sure we'll see much more of that. I'm sure we'll see more Iron Man films. They're not stupid out there. Um, but again, you know, it just the stakes just didn't feel high enough. I didn't feel, you know, the, these these heroes and these people just kind of felt like they were on cruise. It felt like they were on cruise control. Nothing was going to, nothing's going to uh, impede Tony Stark. He's the best at what he does. He, uh, you know, he's a, he's a billionaire. Uh, that everybody loves, uh, even when he's drinking, people love him. You saw him at his birthday party. The only person he upsets is really Pepper Potts and uh, James Rhodes. But um, look, I mean, you've got—I I think you've got a worthy adversary in Venko, played by Mickey Rourke. He—he he plays it very well. He's having fun, and he's pretty menacing. And his character design is wonderful. Um, but all he's really doing is working for Justin Hammer. He's been commissioned by Justin Hammer to build. Uh, suits to basically outshine Tony Stark at his own expo. Right. You know? And so it becomes this uh, business duel more than anything. And it just, you know, it just didn't really hit me on any sort of gut level and it didn't really excite me necessarily. Although what they were doing was certainly good looking, uh, fresh, and entertaining uh, you know, there's nothing that's not entertaining about this movie. It just didn't really, you know. I mean, do you, do you, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, it just nothing, nothing really. I never really felt like Tony Stark. Uh, there was no competition. Right. Um, I think that I think that that's a good point. I would argue, perhaps, that that was also uh, present in the first film, um, which spends a, an entire second act without a villain. Exactly mm-hmm. when it's just Tony Stark building his suit. And, of course, that gets by because it's just so entertaining. And you, you see, you know, Tony Stark refine his method and, and finally take flight. Um, and I think that they try to do something similar here with the second act, which involves uh, 
Tony trying to find a solution to his uh, Palladium problem. And we have the re-arrival of, of Geary, played by Samuel L. Jackson. Um, but, again, this is this is also a very slow second act. Oh, man, um, nothing happens. There, like, there, right. there's no action to speak of. I mean, there are really, essentially, like, two action sequences in this movie. Right, yeah. Uh, I, I, I think that that is potentially problematic, but, again, much like the first movie, I just enjoy watching the actors so much that um, that I didn't, it doesn't bother me. And at least, at, in, in the movie's defense, at least the second act is building to a pretty momentous third act. Yeah, and I, you know, I agree with you. I think that a lot of franchises that uh, rely on sequels to make them money and aren't as concerned with whether the movies are any good or not, um, the, the, these new additions that they get, these new characters... Uh, that really sort of threatened to steal some of the spotlight from what made the movies work initially. Uh, in this case, Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr., uh, who you want as, on screen as much as possible. You're, you're you know, you're, you're you're putting all of these new characters into this universe that is uh, was previously dominated by this incredibly engaging character. And I, I think, like you said, that could be problematic. And uh, if we see less of him, we might not dig the experience as much. But these, it, it certainly helps that these new characters are appealing, and it all just about all of them are in this movie. And I, you know, I don't dislike any uh, of of these actors or these characters or what they're doing. It, you know, you've got good lord. I mean, look at this cast. You've got Downey, Paltrow, Mickey Rourke, Sam Rockwell, Don Cheadle. Scarlett Johansson, you know, I mean, Gary Shandling, I mean, it goes on. What a terrific cast, you know? Um, right. And, and they're all doing funny or uh, scary things. Um, but I just, I don't know, I, I guess this time around I kind of wanted more Stark. It, in, in a way, it's, I guess, you know, the comparison, and I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of uh, appropriate for the casting move as well with the franchise. If you go back to the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie, uh-huh. um, Johnny Depp, is basically uh, the the central reason or the main reason most people liked that movie. I mean, it was an Oscar-nominated performance, and uh, people associate Jack Sparrow with the Pirates movies. And in the second movie, you get a ton of uh, so many new story arcs and these these different narratives and subplots that sort of uh, just steal screen time away from you know the thing that that made it work the first time. And sure. Again, that that almost happens this time, but I think we do get enough Tony Stark and this another great Robert Downey Jr. performance to prevent that from happening. Yeah, and like you said, the, the new additions are so uniformly appealing, uh, particularly Sam Rockwell as the, the Weasley Justin Hammer. Um, that you know, it, it doesn't really bother me as much as it might have um, had. They cast, I don't know, blander actors or, or something that might have been a problem. Uh, but, I mean, all these, all, I mean, this cast is just top notch. Um, I'm, I'm sort of baffled by the critical response to this movie in a lot of ways, but I, I, I do think that I can, I can safely say that put these actors in a non tentpole superhero sequel and, um, you've got something special already. Um, with with these actors and anything that they might be a little bit more uh, critically respected, and then plus director John Favreau gives himself an expanded role. Um, <laughs> Gary Shandling, man, it's just so good to see him in anything, but he's great here. I mean, this is just this is just a top notch cast. It really is. Uh, my only issue is, you know, I yeah, I've I've been a fan of Scarlett Johansson uh, in years past. I think she. Um, you know, in, in recent years by, you know, entering this world of celebrity has made some questionable choices other than, you know, her decisions to work with Woody Allen, of course. And, you know, it's more of his decision than it is hers, I think. But, um, and she's fine in this and she looks great. Uh, but what does she really do in this movie? She doesn't do anything. She's just kind of this, uh, she's hired as Tony Stark's assistant, and then there might be more to her than we think. And then once, you know, something might be revealed about her, she still contributes nothing to the central narrative of this movie. Right. Do you agree with that? I do, I do. And I, I think that, you know, I don't want to spoil too much, but 
one of the problems that I think that, you know, my, my fear for Iron Man 2 going in and my fear for the upcoming Thor and Captain America films is that they're not going to function entirely as standalone films because of this massive intra-movie continuity that Marvel Studios is coming up with uh, leading up to the Avengers. Uh, these movies have to work as standalone movies, and, and my fear is that they're, they're not going to, that they're all going to be extended trailers for the Avengers. I, I feel like a lot of parts of Iron Man 2 were put in just to serve, I think, as, as build-up to this larger movie and, and sort of in the extended trailer mode. That's one of my big worries about this continuity. Um, so far, it hasn't been a major problem. You know, as an Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, we've had little teases as to where they were going. With Iron Man 2, I feel like, well, to be honest, I feel like most of the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff in Iron Man 2 is pointless and just serves to build up to the Avengers, I guess. And it serves as a distraction. You right. Know? I mean, it's not integrated into the narrative in any significant way. It's just separate to build up to something else which is annoying yeah and it's you know again i'm distracted by it and it seems like tony stark is too the character is something that he doesn't necessarily want to be a part of or want to deal with uh yet they force him to do it for some reason and why they have any control over tony stark is a wonder to me or why he would you know uh do what this uh agency tells him to do or what nick fury and his bad costume tell him to do. And again, this sort of feels like lesser filmmaking or lesser characters entering this uh, interesting world, this un this Tony Stark universe, this Iron Man universe that John Favreau has created. And they sort of infiltrated it and hijacked it for you know uh, scenes here and there. And it just doesn't really fit to me. You know, it just doesn't really feel like they're playing on the same level. It almost feels like a different filmmaker walked in and directed those scenes and not Favreau, who had a much steadier hand uh, during the rest of the movie and the previous movie. But, Corey, uh, did, I mean, even you know, even, even with the, the stuff with Clark Gregg and Nick Fury, outside of that, um, there are a couple of little nods that, it did, that both include Clark Gregg, actually, um, that I think sort of... I don't know, almost agree with what I'm saying about uh, these movies sort of uh, wandering into this one, or these characters wandering into this one, especially, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to reveal what it is, but the first time there's a specific reference to another Marvel character. Yeah, I knew what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I thought that that was a hilarious moment. I um, did too. It, it was great. Uh, and I guess we should encourage people to stay at the end of the, the credits. Absolutely. Um that, it's a very exciting little little tease. Uh, it's not vital to the story like the the scene at the end of the first movie was, but it is it is fun. Yeah. Um, and it it, it gets uh, it gets people talking. If you're a comic book fan, there's no way you need to not see this this scene. Yeah, and it seems like people learn their uh, lesson the first time because in my theater, most of my theater stuck around through the end. Yeah, most of most of. I mean, you expect the midnight crowd to you, right? But, um, but last night. Uh, 8.40 screening at the Cobb. Most people stayed for that, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, again, it's just, you're not you're not going to have a bad time with these characters, especially no, Tony Stark. I mean, it, it looks great. Um, I saw it on digital projection, so it was like watching a giant Blu-ray screen player, and it was just gorgeous. The colors are vibrant. Uh, the special effects work again, and they're not uh, too uh, darkly lit or anything like that, so everything is accessible. Um, but I don't know. I, I just I just felt like while this was a fun experience, it's just good sleek summer action. It just lacked a little bit of focus, just in terms of the narrative, and it just didn't really tell any kind of story like the last one did. And I just I, I just you know it, this one seems like a nice little diversion, uh, uh, sort of uh, pacing for the next edition, which I hope to be a stronger movie. And I you know I hope they make it quickly or maybe spend a little more time on the script in getting it made than they did this time around. Sure. Um, and, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a fun movie. Um, it's a good way to kick off the summer, summer season. I was actually um, sort of apprehensive about it, but, mm -hmm. uh, but it lived up to expectations. And, well, uh, yeah, and I mean, time. in terms of its financial expectations, uh, before you go, Corey, uh, a lot of people 
you know, everybody expects this movie to do well. I mean, it could potentially be the biggest movie of the summer. And uh, we're looking, you know, the first movie grossed over $100 million in its first uh, three-day weekend. Um, so, you, of course, I mean, with expanded screen, uh, amount of screens and then you've got the IMAX uh, factor um, with increased ticket sales, this is going to make more money. And uh, so far, so good. Um, I'm looking at Deadline.com. Uh, Nikki Fink reports that Iron Man opened to fifty-two million dollars yesterday, and yeah, it had a good had a good midnight showing as well. I think making seven point five million dollars, and some people thought that this might even break Dark Knight's three-day weekend. But now she's reporting that it's going to slow down just a little bit and maybe clear a hundred and thirty million for three days. Well, I think they're going to be happy with that. Yeah, why wouldn't they um, be? I mean, it's already made two hundred million dollars worldwide, not counting the three-day total. So. It's very popular with audiences too. Uh, Cinema score, I think they got an A, mm-hmm. which is pretty nice. Yeah, you know, that's going to get repeat business. That's going to get good word of mouth. You know, all, when all is said and done, I'm not sure that Iron Man Two is going to be the biggest movie of the year, but it's going to do a lot of damage. I think we might see this approach 450 million. I would say domestically. Um, which is a good number for something like this, and it far exceeds the first movie. Yeah, I think if they crack 400, they should be happy with it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's huge no matter what. And, I mean, and look, you do have to sort of... You are kind of playing against this uh, title now as the widest distributed movie of all time, um, but I think that that is something that this movie can handle because of the, f- the fan reaction, not only to the first one, but what I'm hearing so far with the second one. People like this movie. Um, it's just, it's too much fun, uh, and it's something that they're going to recommend to their friends, too, and it's something that their friends are going to enjoy. Um, Definitely. And uh, let's see, just ca- kind of going down the list, the predictions for the weekend from Deadline.com, you've got Nightmare on Elm Street having uh, not as strong of a uh, weekend as last week, obviously, uh, but it should come in number two. How to Train Your Dragon still going strong. It, it should clear $200 million this weekend. I don't see babies on here anywhere. Um, I thought that that was going to give Iron Man 2 a run for its money. Uh, I don't know. Are you planning on seeing that one, Corey? Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll catch a matinee next week. Right. I bet you will. We'll, and, uh, we'll see. We'll see. And it looks like Kick-Ass is uh, still in there and going to maybe clear $45 million, uh this weekend. So not not a complete failure like you know so many people think it was, uh, you know, and like Corey thinks it was content-wise. Um, yeah, artistically. Yeah. That's a different story. But, yeah. Uh, but box office-wise, maybe they'll... Either yeah. way, I mean, I guess you had your uh, pseudo-deconstruction movie uh, a couple of weeks ago. Now you've got your real superhero movie that you can go and enjoy uh, with Iron Man 2. Um, but it, it, it is a lot of fun, folks. Um, we're, you know, we're not trying to downplay what this movie accomplishes. Um, it, it, it's great stuff. But, uh, Corey... Thanks uh, for calling in. I know you've got a busy Saturday morning and uh, just Saturday in general ahead of you. And, again, congratulations on your accomplishment. Um, And uh, we hope to get you back in the studio next week. Will that be possible? Yeah, I'll be back. Okay, well, uh, coming up, we've got Matt Scalici. He's going to call in. We're going to talk a little bit about this Brad Bird Mission Impossible 4 news, Men in Black in 3D, and we'll give you some DVD recommendations on down the line. But, Corey, I'll, I'll play a little Simon and Garfunkel in your honor uh, right. on the way out. But uh, thanks <laughs> thanks for calling in, man. We'll, yep. we'll see you back in the studio next week. All and right. we'll be back here on 90.7 just in a moment. Liam and me, we're going to f*** you up. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Back here on 90.7, the capstone, this is Aspect Radio, and I apologize for the, uh, music. The, uh... Mission Impossible techno theme, but uh, I was searching for some Mission Impossible music, and that's the best we could do. We couldn't even get the uh, Limp Biscuit Mission Impossible 2 version, or even uh, the U2 version. I think U2 recorded one for the uh, the uh, first movie, but uh, the reason is because there's some big news that you know Hollywood has just uh, revealed for us. 
regarding the Mission Impossible franchise, which, you know, obviously is uh, currently, I don't know if it's owned, <clears throat> but uh, creatively it seems like Tom Cruise, who plays Ethan Hunt on that show, has a ton of creative control. And I think he's working with J.J. Abrams, and they have just, who directed the last addition uh, to the franchise, but they have just introduced the uh, latest Helmer of, uh, you know, the newest edition of that franchise. But we have a guest on now that Corey is uh, off to his uh, graduation festivities. Uh, Matt Scalici, a frequent guest here on Aspect Radio, is uh, on the line now. Matt, are you there? Wives, man. Am I right, Ben? Yeah, yeah, man. Wives. What's the deal? <laughs> what's the deal congratulations <laughs> on your first week as a as a married man thank you thank you very much uh so far so good um the wife and i or i, I should refer to her by her name tess and i not, <laughs> not the wife this isn't jocks um so um we just spent uh several days in charleston south carolina a really a really terrific city um if very nice nobody's ever been there yes yeah, so but back to reality you know, back to this show, which means reality. Honeymoon's over. Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. Um, but you know, no biggie. We're, we're we had a great experience, and uh, we're we're kind of glad to put it all behind us now and just sort of uh, live life. You know what I'm saying, man? Now, now is when you actually start being married. <laughs> You're not on vacation anymore. Well, thank you for the kind uh, words of encouragement, <laughs> Matt, who's been well, married. Well, that's- Let's get to the business there. Well, I want to, how long have you been uh, married, Matt? I've been married. Uh, uh, we are we are we will have our third anniversary in June. Wow! And uh, you actually, you know, you came to my wedding, and I appreciate that. Uh, we missed your wife, Francesca, but uh, we look forward to seeing her again soon. Uh, who she's actually appeared on the show before, um, but it was also your daughter Naomi's second birthday. That's right, yeah. and I mean that's that's huge, man. That you were able to make it, uh, even though uh, you know there was that occasion the well, same day. Well, you know, to be fair, it's pretty easy to sneak something past a two-year-old and and just make her think that her birthday is the next day when we have the party. So, uh, yeah, is that how you look at it? I mean, it's yeah, just kind of like they're just really easy to trick at this age. <laughs> you can still like watch R-rated movies with her in the room, right? <laughs> no, absolutely not, because. Because the problem is she's really good at repeating. Ah, okay. So, she's so at that I, stage. I could, as entertaining as it would be to hear her recite, you know, the the uh, Hans Landa opening monologue from, from Inglorious Bastards. In German. I think I could get her to do after yeah. a few days. I, I think my wife would be pretty mad at me if I did that. So. Well, you know, you never know. Uh, just throw on some Richard Pryor. Uh, videos right. and see what happens, but uh, I mean, look to the to the the news at hand here. Uh, we have more important matters to discuss. Um, not really, but um, uh, Brad Bird, director of the Iron Giant, Ratatouille, and the Incredibles. I think uh, most importantly here, um, he has just been tapped by Tom Cruise and J.J. Abrams to direct Mission Impossible Four which is due out uh, summer 2011, so fairly soon. I mean, I guess they're going to start shooting <laughs> relatively soon. you got to crank that thing out for next summer, uh, so let's get to it. I'm sure the man works fast. But, uh, Matt, uh, this excites me uh, because I've been waiting for Brad Bird to sort of jump into the live-action arena for some time now, and he was working on his uh, earthquake project, uh, 1904, I believe it was, or 1906, that I guess has been put on hold now uh, for this. Uh, You know, the guy is so so incredibly talented, as evidenced by his animated films that he's made, and he's capable of uh, producing uh, some of the best action on screen that I've seen in a long time. I think The Incredibles is one of the best action movies of the last 20 years. and, I mean, he can tell the story, obviously. He, he's able to do it. And, you know, not, while I am extremely excited to see this guy uh, directing a major studio action film and getting getting this live-action experience, uh, the only thing that kind of worries me is that he's starting, he's making his debut on uh, the third sequel to an already established film franchise. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I'll address that last point. First, which is that I, I think there's something sort of unique about the Mission Impossible franchise 
in that there really isn't any continuity from film to film. The, the only thing that makes the film a franchise uh, is that Tom Cruise is in them. His character's name is Ethan Hunt, and he's involved in some spy business. But, I mean, they're really... You could watch any of those movies, uh, any of the first three, and, you know, you, you don't have to have seen the other films to, to have an appreciation for what's going on. In fact, I would say you don't miss anything by, by watching only one of the films. Uh, and so I think that, for, for one, I don't think it works to Brad Bird's disadvantage to jump into the franchise because I don't think he's going to have to worry about uh, anything that's come before it. So you kind of think it has that James Bond vibe going on. Yeah, I, I agree with that, yeah. I mean, and even James Bond has some sort of prerequisites that have to be met mm-hmm. as a part of that franchise. You have to have Ed in there. You know, you've got to have the gadget. There, there are a number of little things that have to, you know, that, that people who have seen all the Bond movies are expecting to see. And I don't think you have that with Mission Impossible. I think all people are expecting with Mission Impossible is a good, action-heavy spy movie. And, you know... Uh, I, I personally, I really enjoyed the third Mission Impossible movie. I, I liked it uh, as, you know, kind of a, it, it was, a, it was it sort of felt like a smaller scale film than the first two. Um, and, and I think that's what J.J. Abrams does well. And that's another thing that I'm, that I'm optimistic about with this fourth film is, is Abrams' involvement. I believe he... Uh, he doesn't. He didn't write the screenplay, but I, I think he has the story credit for this for this fourth film's screenplay, and I think he will be involved in some kind of producing role. Um, but you know, I really like the way. I, 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 there's something I really like about J.J. Abrams and everything he's been involved in, which is he's really good at taking uh, big, you know, exciting sort of action concepts and making them feel small and making them feel therefore sort of more realistic uh gritty is the word some people would use but he's but you know he 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 brings it down to a personal level and that and that's what made alias a great show and i actually i think there are some alias people involved in writing the screenplay for the fourth film oh wonderful and it's uh (laughs) yeah have you seen alias ben i saw some uh commercials i think it's really look you'd be surprised it's a it's a it's a Really, Mission Impossible Three was uh, felt very much like a longer Alias episode. And uh, is that what we want from Mission Impossible, though? I think it, I, Alias I like, with a dude. Third one, the third one worked for me because I, I, I thought it had a great villain, uh, you know, played by a really good actor, and and it was a well sketched out character. I think he he at least whether or not it worked because of the actress involved, he tried to make it have some personal stakes for Tom Cruise's character by sort of involving his his wife uh, and, and and the character you know the characters at the beginning where you get a little backstory that's sort of weighing on Tom Cruise for the whole movie uh, I, I mean it worked for me I was really entertained by Mission Impossible 3 Is it your favorite of the franchise? Uh, I, I'd probably like the first one better but but I really enjoyed the third one So and, I uh, mean does part 2 not even is that not even in your equation? I, I mean look John Wu, John Wu is for is not for everybody. I'm not a guy that likes uh, over the top for over the top sake, and so you know, to me, John Wu and Michael Bay have never really done it for me. Ouch! You're gonna lump but, them together? No, I, I mean they they make great looking, completely hollow, ineffective movies. They're they're really nice to look at, but they don't do anything for me story wise. But but back to Mission Impossible before I guess I'm getting off track here. I mean I I think Ben I know you and I both said this when we saw The Incredibles and I think a lot of other people around the country said this. You know as soon as we saw that movie we said look this is not an this is not a typical animated movie. Uh, this this is really just an action movie that was made you know in, in the in the form of an animated film. But it I mean it was it, it was a more intense experience than the other Pixar films. I mean, it was almost skewed a little bit older than than a typical Pixar movie because of the action being so intense. And, you know, it takes somebody who understands how how action sequences work and how to manipulate an audience with action 
in order to make a film like that. And, you know, I think we all said when we saw it, this guy needs to make a live-action, you know, thriller, basically. And I I think, so he's going to get his shot here, and this is going to be a big opportunity for Brad Bird to go from being a really well-respected animated filmmaker to a really well-respected live-action director. Right, and, and I agree. I, I think I, I'm pretty confident that he's going to deliver. I, you know, I, I am with you there, man. I, I am totally confident that Brad Bird is going to give us a, a an incredibly fun experience no matter what. Um, you know, my only concern is his the amount of creative autonomy that he has with Tom Cruise mm-hmm. uh, in charge. Um Especially the fact that he will not be writing the screenplay, which he which he did do on on Ratatouille and The Incredibles, yeah, and The Iron Giant. Yeah, but I mean, you've got somebody like J.J. Abrams, who is obviously a guy who likes to collaborate with other filmmakers. He's he's proven that, although he is, uh, as many would refer to him, the man uh, in terms of the projects he's involved with. He he does get to sort of pull the strings, but I think that he he's gonna understand or he already does that brad bird is uh more than capable of delivering something that is gonna appeal to the masses i mean his his films his pixar movies were very successful i mean obviously you have you're sort of uh under the pixar umbrella where uh, no matter what they put put out there it's gonna do well but i think that big reason why those movies were as great as they were obviously it was brad bird he knows he knows what to do um <clears throat> and i think you know potentially uh, this, in the hands of Brad Bird, I think Tom Cruise's career could sort of see that resurrection that he's been looking for for a while. Um, I, I guess since his, uh, was it 2005 when uh, War of the Worlds was coming out, and or Mission Impossible 3, I guess, uh, was coming well, out. Well, although Mission Impossible 3 did not, you know, uh, it did not deliver financially. Right. Uh, even you know, even though I think a lot of people liked what he did in that movie, I I think you probably do have to go back to War of the Worlds before you can find a a Tom Cruise film that was really a big commercial success. Right, and when he had all that those personal issues too, that sort of that uh, for some, whatever reason affected audiences and uh, affected their decisions to see his films. And look, I'm a big fan of Valkyrie. I love that movie. I, it, I did. I was too. Yeah. Yeah, it caught me off guard, and it did fairly well considering. Uh, the turmoil, um, you know, during its production and uh, distribution. Uh, but look, I think Cruz is still capable. He's got this movie Night and Day coming out with Cameron Diaz, which just kind of looks like this uh, action romantic comedy romp mess uh, that doesn't really know how to market itself. Uh, let's just throw Tom Cruise, uh, you know, onto a motorcycle with a machine gun and Cameron Diaz, you know, sort of lagging behind, and we'll we'll have uh, we'll have a hit on our hands. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I think if you throw Brad Bird in the director's chair with J.J. Abrams on the set and Tom Cruise starring in a Mission Impossible movie, I think you're on the right path. And they're going to get other really good actors to sign on to this project. I mean, the, the, anytime you have sort of up-and-coming hot names like Brad Bird and J.J. Abrams involved, you're going to have people that want to work with them. And, you know, just like just like Philip Seymour Hoffman sort of surprised us all when mm-hmm. he got into Mission Impossible 3, I think in the next few months here, we're going to hear a, a name, uh, you know, a really big, impressive name that surprises us that uh, that, that, that that person has signed on to do Mission Impossible 4. So you know, I think it, I think you're going to get some good people involved, and you know, that's Tom Cruise is not going to be able to to resurrect his career on his own. He, I think we we've seen now that Tom Cruise being in a movie is not enough for people to say, well, no matter what it is, I'm definitely going to see it now. And you know, I won't be surprised if Night and Day flops. I, I, you know, I think it'll probably do okay, but I I won't be surprised if people reject it because they just because they just don't see movies anymore just because Tom Cruise is in them. And I, I think he's going to need to have, you know, uh, an exciting concept and a franchise name in there and probably a couple of other stars people are interested in for him to get back on track. And Matt, you're I know you're a big fan of, uh, you know, British comedy. Um, and I think that you're a fan of this guy. Uh, we haven't really talked extensively about it, but I, in this story that I, I was reading on Empire Online um, about the Brad Bird uh, signing, 
um, they said that the other director that was considered strongly considered was Edgar Wright, who had you know who of course who did uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, and is now uh, going to release Scott Pilgrim versus the World this summer. Uh, but I mean, if you had to choose between Brad Bird's Mission Impossible or Edgar Wright's, uh, which direction would you have gone? Well, I think they made the right choice. I mean, I, I like Edgar Wright, and he is, I mean, anybody who saw Hot Fuzz knows he he can really direct action. Um, you know, it's it meant to be a Michael Bay parody, but it is, you know, it's right up there with the real thing. I mean, it, it's good-looking action stuff. Right, and um, even his, uh, you know, the, the, the action... Uh, the way he con- conceived the scenes in spaced, I guess, or what there was one. Uh, oh sure, yeah. The, the has, shootout for people who haven't seen it or, or aren't aware, Space was a was a um, a short running television series that Edgar Wright had uh, in England. You can get it on DVD in America now, but uh, it was very reference heavy uh, and and sort of genre parody stuff. So he got to show off a little of that on Space as well. They had a, a an episode involving a, a paintball match that was really, you know, it, it, it was sort of a mix of, I guess, kind of John Woo-type stuff. And, you know, Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright has shown that he has a real understanding, technically, of what it takes to pull that stuff off. Uh, but, you know, I kind, of, I kind of would hate to see him use it <laughs> for legitimate purposes. He's so good at at using it for comedic effect and, and, you know, mocking those genres, you know, by doing them so well, I'd almost, it all, it would almost ruin it for me to see him actually become a part of that, of that genre that he's parodying, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but I know if he ever wants to get into that, I, I'm pretty confident Edgar Wright can do it just as well as anybody else because he's, he's shown it, uh, in his work so far. And I, I think Scott Pilgrim, from my understanding from that story, Ben, it sounded like Scott Pilgrim somehow was going to maybe get in the way of production, they thought. Originally. Yeah, it says that he's still tied up with post-production is the way they word it. So Yeah, so, so I mean, it was a little bit of a scheduling issue. And Edgar Wright, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I've also read that he and, uh, and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are probably going to go straight into making their next film together as soon as Scott Pilgrim is, is done with, so... You know, he, we'll we'll still get plenty of stuff out of Edgar Wright, but I, I mean, I think it would have been interesting to see him uh, take this on, and I think this won't be the last opportunity he gets to make a quote unquote real movie that's not a, a parody of of a real movie. Well, uh, let's spend a quick word on this before we take a break, Matt, and um, you know, wind things down. Uh, Deadline dot com has confirmed that Men in Black Three is now officially a go. Columbia Pictures has set a late May 2012 release date uh, that director Barry Sonnefeld will be back to shoot, and it's going to be in 3D. And uh, Will Smith is signed, and now they're uh, you know having meetings with Tommy Lee Jones to lock him down, and uh, they, they're also going to include Josh Brolin into this movie and uh, they say that an announcement is imminent but uh i'm a big fan of the first movie i thought it was a really unique uh you know one of those unique summer blockbusters that kind of catches you off guard with great humor good action uh and uh really really served its purpose well and uh you know i honestly i chose to skip men in black 2 it just didn't i don't know i i just i get kind of skeptical when it comes to sequels anyway and it just didn't look as good and plus it had Rosario Dawson in it. <laughs> and, no, it, was, uh, it was bad, man. It was not a good movie. It yeah, was, uh, it was very stale. It used the same, all the same jokes right. in the first movie, uh, you know, and just sort of, you know, basically all they did was flip the roles between Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, which made it made it less entertaining because, of course, you know, Will Smith is the comedian, Tommy Lee Jones isn't. So, uh, you know, I look, I. I've really soured on Will Smith in the last few years. It seemed, you know, there was a long time there where he could not miss. I mean, we were even sort of surprised when he put out stuff like Hitch and uh, and well, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the sort of zombie movie. Oh, I Am Legend. Yeah. You know, both of those we thought, 
It looks a little too weird to, you know, maybe the streak will come to an end. But then, you know, those were both big hits. But I think since that time, you know, he's had he's had his uh, his attempt at a superhero film. I don't, you know, I made some money. I don't think it was really as well received, though. I don't think people really got on board. Uh, and then he made the the really awful man. I, I I'm I'm totally. I'm totally losing all of his film titles in my head right now, but what was the really awful sort of drama that he put out where... Seven Pounds? Seven Pounds, yeah. One of the worst-reviewed movies of the last few years. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if it was it was that poorly reviewed. But look, man, Will Smith People is... hated that movie. Look, people mm. that saw that movie came and told me it was, they've never, I've had somebody tell me they actually asked for their money back at the theater. <laughs> well, look, I mean, the only reason I would have been interested in seeing that is because I was a big fan and still am of The Pursuit of Happiness, which featured the same director-actor combo. So, right. I mean, people had people had uh, good intentions behind going to see that movie. But Men in Black 3, I think that they're, uh, once again, I, you know, they're going to sort of rely on these recycled jokes from the first two movies, if anybody remembers any jokes from the second movie. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, I mean... There's jokes from the first movie. I mean... There's, yeah. The question really starts to come, when, when, it, when it's more of a comedy, you know, I, I think you can make a, more of a franchise out of something that has... Uh, that's heavy on action, that maybe has some interesting sort of, you know... Uh, mythology to it you know pirates of the caribbean for instance i never would have told you that would that would have been a, a successful franchise but they, they they built up enough different story elements to keep you interested from one movie to the next uh and it wasn't relying on comedy men in black ultimately is a comedy you know there are special effects in it but it that that's a comedy film and you know they're, they're really just at a certain point you can't you know, you can't juice anything more out of a comedic concept, uh, and I think they, I think they reached that point uh, before the second movie. But you know, so I mean, look, I, I probably am not going to see Men in Black Three. <laughs> the, the fact that it's in 3D doesn't really change that for me. Um, but you know, I, I bet it'll make a lot of money. Well, so long as it's better than Wild Wild West. Um, right. I think I think it, it'll be on the right track, but that's due out in late May 2012. And Matt, if we can keep you on for just another uh, minute, uh, we're going to sure. take a quick break, and we'll come back maybe with a couple of DVD picks and some announcements. Stick around. This is Aspect Radio, the movie talk show on 90.7 FM. Going to play you a little pavement, so uh, do stick around. Hey, this is Jeff Tweedy from Wilco, and you're listening to the Capstone 90.7 WVUA FM, Tuscaloosa. We're in the big time now. We're freshmen. Or all the girls will be putting out. Your days of lying around and pulling tongue all night are over. Money points ever. Back here on Aspect Radio, I'm Ben Flanagan, and I'm joined by Matt Scalici, a uh, frequent guest here on the show. And you can visit Matt's website, filmnerds.com, which uh, frequently uh, features uh, a number of different podcasts, both roundtable and uh, specialty. I do encourage you to check that out. And uh, recently, he, we all sat down. It was uh, Matt, my brother Graham, Ben Stark, and I, we sat down for a summer movie podcast uh preview i guess you could say and it turned out very well and uh, matt they can they can where can they find that exactly you can find that on itunes if you search for film nerds on itunes uh you will find our podcast feed and you can subscribe to it and uh have all of the new ones delivered to you as we do them so well, definitely look for it, man. They're they're a lot of fun to record and you know looking back and listening to them they're actually a lot of fun to listen to too i mean there's some uh, there's some arguments. Especially the ones recorded on on Friday nights that involve 
your brother. Yeah, that involve, uh, uh, you know, we won't say what else it involves. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you can hear glass clanging together. Um, and whatever that means, we don't know. But uh, let's uh, go through some DVD announcements, Matt, or DVD recommendations. How about that, Matt? If, do you have a couple of titles you can throw out there for folks? Yeah, I... I'm gonna I'm gonna be lame and not suggest a new release because the only really big new one I guess is Avatar out right now and I'm not I'm not buying Avatar on DVD but uh, I have been storming through the first two seasons of uh, Breaking Bad on DVD uh, in in preparation I'm I, I'm I'm recording the third season meanwhile on my DVR and hope to hope to watch it pretty soon but. Uh, if you haven't watched Breaking Bad, I don't I don't blame you because it sounds like the 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 uh, a really unenjoyable concept for a show. It's a it's a guy with terminal cancer who uh, gets into dealing meth to try and save up some money for his family. But it is an absolutely fantastic show. Uh, it, it it plays out like a movie. There's there's no formula from episode to episode on this show. I mean, it's just sort of telling. One really tense, uh, really high-stakes drama story, and it's it's just chopped up that story into you know a number of different chapters basically, and and uh, really good performances all around. Brian Cranston's won a, a lot of awards for for the lead role, but uh, his wife is is an excellent actress, and the and also his his male co-star. Um, who plays kind of a meth head? He he's also really excellent, and it's it's a I, I would say the, the the tension that these guys that make this show are able to create episode to episode uh, it's it's right on par with with the kind of stuff that you see from from Tarantino in his best really tense scenes. Paul Thomas Anderson can do that kind of stuff too. It's just I, I'm you know in my in my older age here. <laughs> What I've kind of come to appreciate uh, from from dramas is not so much action anymore, not so much like, you know, big bombastic explosions, people dying. The things that impress me from movies or TV shows is when somebody's able to create a situation that makes me squirm in my chair and makes my stomach tighten up. You know, uh, that's just really fun to me. Uh, to watch people who can create a situation like that. And Breaking Bad uh, does that pretty much every episode. And it's just, it's a it's a really, I mean, for a show about a guy with terminal cancer dealing mess, it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and I highly recommend everybody check it out. Well, and I think that co-star that you mentioned, uh, was wasn't he uh, Kip in Napoleon Dynamite? No, no, it's not, actually. Are you sure? But, no, not the same guy, but he, uh, I, you know, I don't know that I've seen most of the cast. Like the uh, younger guy that works with him? Right, no, that is, that's not Kip, but he does kind of look like him. Uh, he looks no, just like him. Um, but, but, I mean, really, it's kind of a, it's a, a lot of, a lot like Mad Men, the other, the other AMC original show, in that they kind of went out and found a bunch of actors that, with the exception of Brian Cranston, really, you've never seen anywhere else before. And, you know, I kind of like that. It sort of adds an element of of realism and believability to watching it. That, that the fact that, you know, they seem a little more like real people because they're not, they're not screaming fame, you know, famous person at you. You're not immediately thinking of everything else they've ever done. Uh, so I, I highly recommend it. I'll tell you what, man. I, you know, I'm looking at IMDb right now, and you're right. It's not him, but um, <clears throat> they look exactly alike. What's the actor's name, Ben? The, the, Aaron Paul? Aaron Paul. Yeah, and he, you know, he looks just like him, man, and he, and it's the guy from, uh, he's on Big Love, too. I think I just lost Matt, actually. So if Matt wants to call back, he can, but, uh, seriously, uh, this guy looks exactly like Kip from, uh, from, uh, Napoleon Dynamite and the dude from, uh, and he's also on Big Love, so wow. Oh, no, this is the guy from Big Love, and this is Matt, actually, so hang on one second. We'll get him back on here. Matt, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, wait, so this is the guy from Big Love. Okay, so he's been on Big Love. Yeah, he was definitely okay. on Big Love, but not Kip from Napoleon Dynamite, who no. I definitely thought that was. Wow. But, but really great, and, and, you know, I haven't followed, I wasn't following the show, really, as it was on in the first two years, so I'm not aware of whether the rest of the cast has, has been, you know, 
awarded anything or, or if they ever got kind of a uh, an ensemble tag award or anything. I certainly think they deserve it. It's a it's a great cast, and really, I mean, the writing is what is what makes it worth watching. It's just you'll you'll be you'll be amazed at how many different uh, situations these guys are able to create that just makes you just just wonder. I mean, how are they gonna how are they gonna get out of this from week to week? And uh, so, anyways, that's. That's all on that, but, but definitely check it out. Well, my pick this week, I actually recommended the first five minutes of this movie last week, and I, f- I finally finished it, and it's Whip It, uh, directed by Drew Barrymore, the um, comedy, the sort of dramedy about uh, roller derby, this uh, young lady played by Ellen Page who lives in this sort of podunk town in Texas who travels to Austin and um, you know joins this roller derby team, and it becomes you know the, the one... Or you know, one of the the bright spots in her otherwise dull life through her life, because I mean, she she's a character whose mom forces her to enter these pageants that she dreads, and uh, it, you know, it also stars um, Daniel Stern and Marsha Gay Harden. They play her parents, and then you've got uh, Jimmy Fallon, Andrew Wilson, Drew Barrymore, Kristen Wiig, um, Zoe Bell from Death Proof. Uh, and Juliette Lewis as the villain of the movie, and also a, re- a real standout in this movie for me, and her name escapes me at the moment, but uh, fans of Arrested... God, Matt keeps uh, dropping for some reason. I apologize for that. We'll get him back on one more time. But uh, the actress from Arrested Development who plays Maybe, is uh, she plays Ellen Page's friend, and uh, she's terrific. Matt, we lost you again, man. What's going on? Are you using an iPhone or what? <laughs> just uh i don't know sunspots maybe I'm, I'm not sure well stand in one place one place man uh but anyway what i was saying is that uh whip it features a really terrific supporting performance from uh the girl who plays maybe from arrested development oh sure yeah yeah she's yeah, hilarious she has a very weird name i'm not surprised you can't remember it but. yeah well it's not it's not like it's my job to remember names on <laughs> a movie talk show Right. Uh, but anyway, no, I do. I really highly recommend it. Barry Moore, she shows a lot of chops as a director. Um, a, a lot of the framing is really good. The pacing is nice. The, the humor is really solid. Uh, the music is great. And it really helps, too, when you're uh, well-liked in the industry like Drew Barrymore is. Uh, and she's able to work with people like Robert Yeoman, the cinematographer. He's uh, Wes Anderson's, usually his DP. Uh, Dylan Techner the editor uh, on most of or maybe all of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, and then the music supervisor, Randall Poster, who also, he, he works with pretty much everybody now, but notably also Wes Anderson's collaborator. So she's got a lot of good people in her corner and uh, a really solid performance from Ellen Page and uh, J- Jimmy Fallon and Andrew Wilson especially. They're great, but I can recommend Whip It. I re- it really caught me off guard, and uh, actually... I think this is an apt comparison. I think it's uh, a better sort of coming of age teenage drama uh, slash comedy. It's more of a comedy than uh, Adventureland. I actually prefer this to Adventureland, and it would actually be a pretty solid double feature to uh, two movies from last year that are sort of. I'd rather of... watch Ellen Page than Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Coming of age movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you obviously haven't seen the Twilight movies yet. You're, how did how did you guess, Ben? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I know somebody in in your household has read all of those books, even though, and and I think that they may or may not have seen the movies too. Am I wrong? Well, I don't think my wife Francesca <laughs> has seen any of the movies yet. She has. Uh, she has sort of come uh, recently. She sort of said, like, you know, what would be funny. If we just like watch the Twilight movies and yeah, make nice, fun of them, you know. Yeah, nice way to spin that. <laughs> I said, you know, I don't, I don't think that would be that funny. She's like, no, no, yeah, it'd be, you know, we just make fun of them. Just say, look, Francesca, if you want to watch them, just watch them. <laughs> you know, I've, I've seen both of them, man, at the theater and on DVD. You, so you should you man should, up, man. Uh, you should hide that fact from the, from the public. I'm not scared. What? I'm fired. Um, okay. Uh, opening nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16. Obviously, Iron Man 2 is out in theaters now. Matt, did you catch it yet? I have not. I, it, it, it's looking like due to, uh, due to Mother's Day weekend event that I'm not going to get to see it until next week. But I, I am definitely going to see it. And you don't really have to go see babies, do you? You've got that in your own 
in your own house. That's right. Yeah, I just I just <laughs> whip out the home videos. Yeah, so. well, that that's that is also out in theaters. Uh, not really taking the box office by storm like I thought it would, um, but. Anyway, it does look entertaining. I will say that. Uh, if you have any feedback, you can email us at 90.7movies at gmail.com. Uh, you can, I mean, if you really feel like we've missed something or have any suggestions to films we can review or topics we can discuss, please do email us at 90.7movies at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Aspect Radio or twitter.com slash Aspect Radio. We might even read a comment or two on the air, so please do keep your comments coming. And we're going to podcast this and other episodes of the show. You can find those on our blog at aspectradio.tumblr.com, T-U-M-B-L-R, the way you spell Tumblr. And, uh, Matt, I do believe you have a Tumblr blog as well. Feel free to plug it if you like. Oh, thanks, Ben. I, I, I haven't really been making a concerted effort to, to get it out there yet because I've just started, but I've got a, a, a blog I just started kind of related to the, uh, the college football fan experience. Um, we'll be getting some just kind of some, some column-type type work and also hope to have some interviews up there soon that will be of interest to anybody who's a, a college football fan, more specifically an Alabama college football fan. But uh, it, that's at uh, stadiumdog.tumblr.com. Well, the first post is really entertaining about uh, people scheduling weddings on game days, Alabama game days, so I encourage people to uh, check that out. Uh, you can catch my and Corey's columns in Tusk Magazine, found in every Friday edition of the Tusk Listen News. And again, I do encourage you to visit filmnerds.com, the site owned and operated by our guest today, Matt Scalici. And uh, for Matt and for Corey earlier, our graduate, our Benjamin Braddock of the day, um, thank you so much for listening. We do hope you tune in next week. And uh, Matt, thank you again for joining us. I do appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. This is Aspect Radio. This is 90.7. Catch us again 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. Thanks so much. Thanks.